Hey, thank you, Tiffany. It's good to see you this morning. And uh, I, I just want to challenge you in whatever way that you need to be challenged to be a part of this week of prayer and fasting. Um, I, I believe for you as an individual, it's a spiritual uh, game changer to pray and to fast because we hear God's voice so clear when we're, we're doing something like this. His word comes alive to us maybe in a new way. And so maybe you've never fasted before. You're not quite sure how to do it, what to do. We want to help you with that. We will have prayer focuses for each day. You'll see those on social media uh, throughout this week. And uh, I want to just encourage you to be here if you can, even if it's just for 15 minutes on the way home from work. This week, Monday through Friday, you just heard Tiffany announce it, um, here in the building from 6 to 7, we'll be leading prayer times uh, that all week long, myself and, and some of our elders. And uh, we would love to see you to be here um, to pray, and, and we're not going to put you on the spot. There'll be some corporate times of prayer. There'll be times for you as an individual to pray. There'll be worship music kind of going in the background, and uh, just really, really looking forward to this week and what God shows you and uh, how he answers some prayers for uh, Hope Church. So thank you for being a part of that. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis or go on your phone to Genesis, or you can be in loop and see that or follow along on the screens. We're, we're so glad that you're here today. We started a series last week called How to Win in 2023. And I love the new year. I love the fact that we get to make new resolutions and have new perspectives and maybe try some new things or do some things differently than we've done in the past. And it can be a huge encouragement to us. Um, we can do lots of things with our health and with our diet and with how we work and maybe what we do exercise-wise or how we're dealing with our finances. And all those things are good, but I want to just challenge you to maybe possibly think of this new year as an opportunity for you to do something new spiritually, that you will invest in who you are spiritually, in your spiritual you, you'll draw closer to Jesus, you'll, you'll love God more, you'll live for him more, and just see the difference that it can make in your life. I mentioned fasting a minute ago. Uh, you, listen, you can fast food, you can fast meals, you can fast technology, you could fast social media, you can fast your favorite show. But here's the point of fasting. And Crystal and I had a really good conversation about this yesterday um, in the car. We were alone for a little while and, and we were driving. And um, the, the, the great thing about fasting is not that we give up something for God, and that's wonderful, but we need to replace the time that we would normally watch that show or eat that meal or enjoy that shake, we replace those times with times with the Lord, with our Bible open, praying, just listening to him, hearing from him. And that's the power of a fast right there. It's not just that, hey, I'm going to give up something, because that's called Lent, right? Um, two, two very, very different things. I'm, we're, we're giving up something because we're saying, God, I, I have determined in my life that I need you more than anything else. I, I need you to live the way that you desire me to live. And so um, we do that, but we got to replace that thing with some time with the Lord. So whether that's five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, I, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of what I'm doing, not the full deal because you don't really care. Uh, you don't want to hear me talk about it. But what, what I'll do throughout this week is I will purposely fast some meals in, in a schedule that I've set. And during those meal times when I usually be stuffing my face and um, eating something good, I will spend time with the Lord. Kevin, that's easy for you. You're a pastor. Let me just take you behind the curtain just real quickly. It's not any easier for me than it is for you. 
He said, don't, don't think that. Well, it, it, no, because I, I mean, if I'm fasting lunch, can I tell you, uh, I eat breakfast early, and, and then I, I somehow see all these signs and different things for food, and it's like a, this temptation that goes on. And so anyway, you find a way to be a part of this week of prayer and fasting, whether you fasted a lot before and, or not. It's, it's just a great opportunity for you to invest in who you are spiritually. Um, here's what we said last week. Because a lot of us will make resolutions. Resolutions become reality when right routines become a priority. And you may have never thought of this before, but every day, the decisions that you choose to make in your life, where you go, what you do, what your life's about, what you give energy to, what you give attention to, every day those decisions that you and I make in our lives are writing a story. Your life is a story. My life is a story. And, and here's the, the, the tough part about that. For some of us, or many, for a lot of us, it, it's really a continuation of our parents' story and our grandparents' story and the story that they wrote with their lives. And there might be some things, and I'm sure there are some things that we want to change and we want to do differently, um, but their story, the, the story that your parents wrote, the story that your grandparents wrote, it's impacted you, it's impacted others. The story that we are writing with our lives has an impact on our family, it impacts your kids, it's going to impact future generations, as well as friends and others. But the wonderful thing about that is we get to decide much of what this story is about. You get to decide what your story is about. You get to decide what your life is about. You get to decide the story that's written about you. What's the theme? What's the big idea? And let me just say this because I, I know that there's some people in here today, your life has been dramatically and negatively affected by someone else's story. They hurt you. They wronged you. Unfortunately, maybe they abused you. They told you things that weren't true about yourself. You have been negatively impacted by someone else's story that's being written. Can I just give you some hope today that they, even if that's the case, there are two things more powerful than their wrong choices that have impacted you. The first one is your choice. You get to choose. You get to have a say. You get to make some decisions. You get to order your life in the way that you want to. And if it was only that, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But connected to that is the second thing, and it's God's power. God has, has a story that he wants to write with your life, a story that impacts other people, a story that matters, a story that will be told from generation to generation to generation to generation. All of us, with our daily decisions, the things that don't even seem to matter, the things that we don't even think about, the choices that we make, the conversations that we have, the way that we invest our time, the way that we invest our energy, the way that where our finances go, all those things are writing the story of our life. And so I want to just ask you this question as we get ready to look into God's word in Genesis 25. What story are you writing? What story is going to be told 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now about your life, and you hopefully are still living. What story are your kids going to say about you when they look back at the life that you lived? Let's go to the scriptures. We're going to meet a, a family that 
Um, while they were not perfect, uh, they were used by God in some incredible ways, but they had some issues as well. Genesis chapter 25, um, we're going to start in verse 19. And this is what it says. And I'm, I'm reading from the ESV uh, today. It says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. And we all know Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. Father Abraham, uh, if you grew up in church as a little kid 30, 40 years ago, you probably sang the song Father Abraham where you did all these motions. That's the guy we're talking about, um, his son Isaac. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Let me just hit pause. In that day and age, in that culture, when a woman could not have a child, it was a big deal. And it's a big deal still because you know people in your life that have desired to have kids and aren't able to. But when, but when women were barren in those times, it was looked at as God's judgment or God's favor was removed from them. There was something wrong with them. There was something wrong in their lineage. There was something wrong in their family history. And so Rebecca's barren. She can't have kids. Isaac prays and he prays and he prays. And it says this, and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in the womb. All the twin people say yes, right? There's twins in the Bible. Yes, there's, there's multiple sets of twins in the Bible. There were twins. The first, one's come, the first one came out red. <laughs> Can I be the second one, please? Uh, the first one came out red. His body was like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. <laughs> And I think about Esau, and I, I just see this hairy, manly guy with, like, bright red hair. Not just some red. I'm talking like you're walking down the street. There's Esau. You can see him coming because he is just, he is red all over. It says this, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And actually, the, 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 the name Jacob means heel grabber, and um, Isaac was 60 years old when he, they were born to him. And here's where I want to go for the next couple minutes. Let's look at their life. Because they were both writing stories. When, when, the boys, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. And so you can just imagine these two twins, that they do everything together, until a certain age, and then they just kind of part and do their own thing. And you have Jacob kind of hanging out in the tents, hanging out, doing his thing. And Rebecca loved Jacob, and, and he knew how to do some things around the house. But if you needed the oil changed in your car, you went to Esau, right? Esau was the skillful hunter. He was kind of the man's man. His dad loved him more. And this is what the Bible says. It says, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. So you can already see some family dynamics at play here that we don't have time to jump into today, but you can just imagine what it was like around their dinner table. Can you just picture it with me? The mom loves one son, the father loves the other son more, and it's not that they didn't love the others, but they were the favorites, and you can just imagine the tug of war that happened in their family home with this dynamic going on. You just can kind of see what was shaped and molded in their life and this is what it says in verse 29. 
The story goes on. It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, because he was a cook. He was Emeril Lagasse before Emeril was born. I mean, he, he was... He knew how to put things together. He had spent a lot of time in the tents. He had learned probably from his mother, and it, maybe it came naturally to him. And he was making stew, and it says, Esau came in from the field, and I want you to notice what it says next, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Some other versions talk about his hunger there as well. It says, therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. You want some of the stew? You want me to serve you up this bowl of goodness? I'll trade. Remember trading as a kid? Trading baseball cards, trading Hot Wheels, um, trading, I don't know what girls traded, Barbies, I'm not sure. But there was trades going on. Well, these, they, hey, you, wanna, you, you really want some of this? Well, you're going to trade me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. That doesn't even sound good, but I guess when you're hungry. Has anyone had lentil stew? Has anyone ever partook of lentil stew? Mm, I don't know that I'd be. I, I'd say, is there cereal in the pantry? Uh, I don't know if that would be something I would choose. Choose to do. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And then what does this last line say? It says, Thus Esau despised his birthright. And we're going to unpack that for just a few minutes. See, the birthright was a big deal, it went to the firstborn son. And it was not just a money thing. It wasn't just a land thing. It wasn't just, hey, you get all the houses and the vacation homes. There was a respect that went with it. In fact, there was this sense of um, when, when the father would die, the firstborn son would step up and he would begin to write the story for the family. He was the one that would give leadership. He was the one that would set the agenda. He was the one that would make big decisions He would write the legacy of the family, and he would also get a double portion of all the kids. So there was, there was financial incentive, there was legacy incentive, and Esau just said, I am hungry. Give me some stew. Jacob said, okay, I, I, got, your, I got your brother. I guess big brother, because he was first, right? I got your brother. Trade me your birthright. I mean, the Bible just said, when we read it at the end of that passage, that Esau despised his birthright. Well, what, is that, what does that mean? He didn't value the opportunity, the incredible opportunity that was before him. To not only write the story for his family, but for, for himself, but for his entire family. He traded his legacy for a bowl of stew. And here's the question I want to ask us today is, is we, we kind of go, well, this is a good story from Genesis, and I've heard it before, and the twins not getting along, and there's, there's mom and dad like different kids, and, and you can almost write a, a, a movie about it. But what does it have to do with my life, Kevin? 
How many times do we allow an immediate appetite for something to cause us to do something that we wish we wouldn't have? Man, I've got to have it. I'm, I need it. I want it. It's a desire. I want it. I, I, if I don't get it, I don't know how I'm going to live. The Bible says that not only was Esau hungry, but he was also exhausted. When we're tired, when we're tired, we make poor decisions, don't we? When, when we're tired and we make decisions, we end up regretting sometimes the decisions that we make. And we all know how, how tiredness can affect us and how it, I mean, it, it, can, it can affect our mood, it can affect our brain. Uh, I, I was talking with someone this morning that, who's really, really tired, and he was here early serving and I said, why are you so tired? And he said, I didn't go to bed till 3 a.m. And I'm thinking, man, my 40-something self would not be able to do that and function right now. But you're young. God bless you. Um, and when we're tired, it messes with us. When we're tired, we tend to make poor decisions. In fact, um, you know, several years ago, coming out of COVID, uh, there was this talk or this terminology that was used, people making COVID decisions. And unfortunately, I saw some people make some choices. Because they were tired of dealing with this pandemic that's happening and being having to be in their homes and just you know, had no freedom. And I watched people walk away from their families. Watch people walk back into addiction, quit jobs or quit their education. And the most disturbing in there, there are several instances of that I can think of, people that I know just walked away from faith because they were tired. Because they, couldn't, they, it, they couldn't think, they couldn't function, they couldn't, it, it just was so, so hard for them to move on. See, Esau had this hungry appetite for something to satisfy him immediately, and he was exhausted. And those two things are a toxic cocktail to make bad decisions. In Luke chapter 4, we have the story of the devil tempting Jesus. Jesus has just gone into this time of fasting and, and praying and spending time with his heavenly father. And in verse 3 of Luke 4, in the message paraphrase, it says this, the devil playing on his hunger gave the first test to Jesus. Since you're God's son, command the stone to turn into a loaf of bread. When we're tired, we, we make poor decisions. When we have desires and things that are welling up inside of us and, and we don't have the energy to fight it, wow, the decisions that we make can change our future and can impact our lifetime. In fact, this week, um, I was in, in Walmart where all great theology happens and, and great people. Who in here likes to people watch? You're a people watcher? Yeah, you can just go in Walmart and watch people and have a lot of fun. Um, you don't need to turn on your television, just go to Walmart. I'm in Walmart this week, and, and I, I try to safely go to the Walmart that's the market, which is near where Crystal and I live, up in Orange Grove. And, uh, but this was, this, was the, this was the big Walmart on 49, and, and um, anyway, I'm walking through there, and, this <laughs> and it, it, I had just finished up the message. It was in the middle of the week, and I had been kind of reading through stuff, and this guy has this shirt on <laughs> that says, when you are tired, don't buy a cat. Now, I think that could be a slogan to live by. Um, I looked at that shirt. I, like, I like looked at it like three times. Ago. Am I reading that? What, is that? what does that mean? 
I don't think it was accident that I saw that shirt because um, this week in studying, I, I ran across this article from the Wall Street Journal. In 2021, people spent $24 billion on pets, on buying pets, on food, on vets, on all. People were buying animals and pets left and right coming out of during COVID. Do you, I mean, you know that? And, and, and the article was talking about all this money that was spent and all that was done. And now these people don't know what to do with these pets that they don't want. And so you can imagine the crisis that that creates. When you're tired, don't buy a cat. That's a good life lesson. Um, you might not remember anything else from today, but you remember that. Esau was the firstborn. Part of his story was written for him by his parents and by his birth order. In fact, over two dozen times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this phrase that says where God refers to himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Could that have really have supposed to have been the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau? But yet Esau allowed tiredness and exhaustion to make a decision that would write the story of his life in such a negative, negative way. I, I love what a pastor and author Andy Stanley said in his book, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. He says this, the primary reason we don't think in terms of story when making decisions is that story is later. Decisions are now. We think about later, later, as in later when it's too late to do anything about it. As I was just thinking about this message and even the series and how does this all fit in. Um, and I've harped on this point a little bit, but I want us to, to grab hold of it and understand it. We have to pay incredibly close attention to our appetites and have to be really careful about our appetites, especially when we're tired. Because we find ourselves not doing the same thing as selling a birthright, but we, we make some decisions that, wow, we look back on and go, what was I thinking? Why did I choose that? Why did I do that? Why did I allow myself to put, why did I allow myself to be put in that situation? So think with me this morning. What is the story that you want blank to tell? About your life. What, what's the story that you want blank to tell? You can fill in that blank with you want your kids to tell or your spouse to tell or your friends or your coworkers or yourself or your grandkids. Because they will. They'll talk about it. They'll tell it. I mean, we've all experienced that. If you've been around extended family, uh, hey, grandpa used to do this, grandma used to love to eat this, my dad liked this. We tell stories all the time about the people that are in our life. What story do you want to be told of you? Private decisions eventually create a public story. We've seen that play out in our political world. We've seen it in Hollywood and entertainment. Private decisions eventually create a public story. And that's true for our lives. Here we have Esau, 
the firstborn son of Isaac, grandson of Father Abraham. And he makes some decisions. He makes several decisions, but the biggest decision about selling his birthright is hard to believe. I want to just introduce you to something, and maybe you've already done, maybe you already do this, and you're like, Kevin, I could communicate it better than you. Um, and, and so, but, but I, I want to just maybe introduce it to some of us or remind some of us about it. And I used this all the time when I was a youth pastor. Uh, and it's called making a, making a pre-choice choice, meaning that you have a decision that you predetermine how you're going to respond before you get into a situation. Because can I tell you, over the years, how many students, junior high and a lot of high school and a lot of college students that I sat across from that went, I can't believe I chose to do that. But I found myself in the situation and I didn't know what to do. No, pre-choice choices. Okay, I'm going to determine uh, this is what my life is going to be about. This is what my standards are. This is what I'm going to do and not do. This is who I'm going to be with and not be with. It, it, it's this, this setting our mind in a place where it needs to be. Before the emotions of the moment or the tiredness of the moment allow our decisions to be affected. And so I want to just give you maybe some pre-choice choices about the story that your life's going to tell. Maybe these are some things that you could say, hey, that's true, of, that's true of me. That's what I want for my story. Probably the hardest thing I've had to do as a pastor, and it really wasn't as a pastor, that wasn't the role I was in that day. Maybe one of the toughest things I've had to do in my entire life was to preach my grandma Beachy's funeral. We had lived in Mississippi at that time for just a little over a year. My grandmother died in Pennsylvania, um, and she was the grandma that I remember the most about. My mom's mom, my grandma Yoder, she died when I was younger, so I didn't have as much interaction. But I had a ton of interaction with Grandma Beachy, her reading stories, her, you know, just all, all the different things that she did as a grandma and a follower of Jesus and a lover of her grandkids. And I remember, man, preaching that funeral message was really hard. And it was intimidating because it was, it was, a, it was a packed sanctuary of this 500-seat Mennonite church. And there was a lot of Mennonites. And I had relatives there and people that knew me when I was this tall. And, and I, I felt like all the words I could speak about my grandma weren't enough. Like I, I couldn't truly communicate the impact that she had on my life. I, I, I got done with that, that message, that funeral message, and I felt like, man, I did not do my grandmother justice. And I remember the service ending, and we went up the hill to where the graveyard was at and, and up on this hill just within walking distance of the church and uh, her being put late in the, in, in the ground and going back down into the fellowship hall, the basement area of this, of this building, And I was kind of, I wasn't embarrassed. I just felt like I did not do what I wanted to do to honor my grandmother. I was probably being hard on myself. I was tired. But I remember in that an hour and a half or so as we were there in that basement of the stories that I heard from table, I just walked around from table greeting people. I was meeting cousins I didn't know I had. Uh, I, I, I just was walking and just greeting and talking, and I, I heard story after story about my grandmother and how she had impacted someone's life, a neighbor, um, a friend, 
a family member. And I, I remember sitting down later at my grandparents' house that evening, being just not so much physically exhausted, I was tired, but mentally I was drained, and thinking, wow, my grandmother's story in her life has impacted so many people. And I'm so thankful and grateful for that. And, and the bottom line is just simply this. Your story has the potential and the opportunity to impact hundreds and thousands of people. But let's make some free choices about what we want our story to be. And let me just give you a couple as we wrap up this morning. Here's some pre-choice choices about the stories that our lives tell. I will have a story that I'm proud to tell. Not perfect, don't have it all figured out, make some mistakes, have some blunders, not the perfect husband, not the perfect father, not the perfect grandpa, but I want to have a life and a story that I'm proud to tell. Number two, I will have a story others can benefit from, one that blesses others. We spend a lot of time around New Year's thinking about ourselves and what we need to do differently and how we need to live differently and I need to make this resolution or make this commitment or I want to do this. And, and we're like, I, I got to do this and got to do that. But you know, our lives, when we really line everything up, we're called to love Jesus and we're called to serve other people and love others. And, and that, that's, that, that's, that's the foundation. So I, I want to have a story of that others can benefit from, one that blesses other people, one that serves other people, one that puts other people first. And can I tell you, I get that so wrong so many times. Because I'm like you, I'm, I'm selfish at the core. I need the Holy Spirit to, <laughs> to help me to see others past myself many times. But I, want, I want you to have a story that others can benefit from that blesses other people. And this kind of folds into number three. I will not allow selfishness to ruin my story and the stories of other people. Because the reality is simply this. Your story impacts the stories of others. The story of your life, the story of your loved one's life, they have impacted the lives of other people. And it will do that. And I don't want to allow selfishness to ruin that. I love what Max Lucado said about others and, and about stories. He said, the best stories written, and when we can write the best story with our lives, it, it's this, and he, this is a quote, it's not about me and it's not about now. Wow, and if I, if I look back at the worst decisions in my life, the ones that I regret the most, the ones I wish I could have a second chance at, usually those decisions have, have captured one of those two things. It was about me. It was selfish. It was wrong. It was about putting me first. And sometimes it was about now. It was about the here and now. I want it now. I want it my way. I want it now. I've, I don't have patience to wait for it. I don't have patience. I, I want to get it right now. It's not about me. It's not about now. I want to not allow selfishness to ruin my story and the stories of others. And here's the last one I want to leave you with, and then I, I want to just make a couple comments and we're going to pray. Because I think there's some people in this room that need to hear this. Because whether you're 75 or whether you're 15, your story is still being written. It's not done. If you're breathing air on this planet and you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God has things 
for you to do and a story that still needs to be written. I will choose to believe it's not too late to have a better ending to my story. Because some of us feel like, man, I've kind of just messed up my story, Kevin. I've, I've messed it up. I've, I've made bad decisions. I've made bad choices. I wish I could have some redos and do-overs and mulligans. And some of us, we feel that weight. But I, I believe in the story of Jesus that he can rescue those things. Those poor decisions. That first divorce. Those wrong choices. Those addictions. Those things that, that weigh our story down. Jesus is all about rescuing those stories and turning them for his glory and his purposes. And no matter where you're at right now in your life, no matter your age, no matter your circumstance, no matter what you've gone through, you're, you're not too far gone for God to rescue, for God to write a new story, for God to um, change some perspective and change some circumstances. Your life's going to write a story And you get to choose what that is. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much um, for the lives that you've blessed us with. That you didn't create robots, you gave us free will to love you, to serve you, or to not care about you. We, we, have, we have choices that you've blessed us with. That is a blessing. And God, every day, our choices and the decisions we make are writing the story of our life. And God, we want that story to be pleasing to you at the heart of everything. Would it please you? Because I, I, I want to be able to stand before you one day and you look and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't have to worry about perfect because Jesus already took care of that on the cross. God, I pray for anyone here today that just feels like their story isn't, their story doesn't matter, their story isn't making a difference, their story is too far gone. God, would you today, would you fill them with hope? Would you fill them with a new sense that you're not done writing the story of their life and if they would just lean into you, if they'd allow you to take the pen and begin to write some things about who they are and about their story, that it would make all the difference in the world. God, would you help us to make decisions that please you and, and realize when we're tired and when we're exhausted and when maybe some appetites that we have in our life have gone out of control and it's causing us to make decisions that we're going to regret and we're going to wish we could have a second chance at. God, thank you for Jesus and for the cross that you made a way for all of us to have a brand new story written about our life. 
no matter our past, no matter our decisions, no matter where we came from, no matter where we've lived. Jesus, thank you for making a way for us to have relationship with you. God, our story matters to you. And the story of our life matters to others because it affects other people. So would you help us be individuals that are writing a story that pleases you? A story that blesses others. A story that makes an impact. A story that's going to be told over and over again and it's going to bring a smile to the people that are telling it and the people that are hearing it. We love you, God, and thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, we ask these things together and say amen. Amen. Would you just stand where you're at? Let me just give you this, this word real quickly. Because I, I feel like there's someone in here who feels like God's done with you. Can I tell you that nothing could be further from the truth? He's not done writing your story. He's not done speaking into your life. He's not done directing you. He's not done working on your behalf. Would you give him whatever you're holding back from him? I don't know what that is. But whatever it is, would you just place it in his hands? And say, God, just, I, I recognize you're not done. Would you continue to write the story of my life in a way that pleases you? I want to encourage you to uh, be a part of this week in whatever capacity you can. This week of prayer and fasting. Um, I, I believe it can be pivotal in your own spiritual journey. And I know that it can make a difference in the life of Hope Church and who we are right now and what God wants us to be in the future. And so plan to be a part of it. We would love to see you. If we can provide resources for you in any way, let us know. Be checking social media um, because we'll have kind of prayer focuses for each day. You'll also have prayer focuses when we come together in the evening uh, here in the building Monday through Friday this week from 6 to 7. One last thing, then we're going to dismiss. Um, just to let you know, uh, our messages from Sunday morning are now available on our website. If you miss a Sunday, you can go to our website, uh, hopechurchgolfcoast.com, and you can, uh, you can listen to a message, whether it's me or someone else. They're there now for you to listen to, and so take advantage of that. And if you miss a week, you can kind of catch up and know where we're going. God bless you. Have an amazing, amazing week this week as we launch into uh, the week of prayer and fasting. God bless you.